Well, uh, we're going to take a few weeks, and I, um, I, most of you got your bulletins on the way in here, and it, the title of the message today is uh, about needing saving, right? Uh, it's why we need to be saved. Um, I think that that's sometimes difficult for us to understand. And if you've been around uh, churches at all, or maybe even heard people talk in those terms, uh, that's kind of what we're going to be going uh, over these next few weeks. We're going to be taking some words of salvation uh, and what they mean and how they impact us uh, and how they fit into God communicating with us our needs for him. If you can uh, imagine... uh, yourself. Uh, I know that when people talk about being saved, I think one of the great pictures is that of drowning in the ocean. Uh, And how many of you are afraid of being drowning in the ocean? Greatest fear, maybe even something like that. I I grew up in uh, along the the beach and um, there was only, I would only go out so far because I was afraid of drowning in the ocean and really afraid of other things underneath me as well. Um, and that feeling, uh, I know that uh, many times, I, I see Dan here, spent a lot of time at El Capitan State Beach, and uh, I, I remember being out there many times and getting knocked over by uh, a wave, and that feeling of desperation uh, inside of you that you, I think I'm going to drown out here. And that picture of drowning is probably a good picture when it comes to where we're at and our needs. And the idea that someone would be in a lifeboat or throw us a life uh, preserver and it would pull us out. And that's a good picture. Maybe another good picture that maybe would help you to understand your need uh, for Jesus is if you can picture yourself in a hospital room, laying in a hospital bed. And wondering this question, do I need saving? What is, and really maybe asking the question, so how bad is it? So how bad is it? And you're laying there on this, uh, this gurney and you're, you're wondering, so how, how bad am I? How, how, what is the state of my spiritual condition? Well, what's difficult, and this is where we're going to start this morning, um, if you, I just want to read to you a couple of verses. It's going to be a tough thing to uh, uh, follow me this morning. I just want to tell you that at the outset, we're going to go over 10, 12 verses and uh, different places. But if you'd like to, uh, I'm going to start at Ephesians 2 and actually look at a uh, verse in Colossians 2 as well. Really, they're the, the same concept. And I want you to get this. And if you ask the question, how bad am I spiritually? What, what's, the, you know, what's the situation? Maybe, maybe some of you have gone through that physically, where you've gone into the doctor, you knew there was something wrong, you're laying there, they poked, they've prodded you, they've taken pints of blood, they've looked at you, they've considered your situation, and now they're going to relay to you where you're at. Well, with that in mind, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You skip over a few books, the book that we just went through, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. It says this, and you were dead in your trespasses. So how bad is it, Doc? What is my spiritual condition? You're dead. 
you're dead. You think about that and you go, well, you know, I don't really feel dead. Uh, I, am I really dead? Uh, you know, and, and you say, I'm going about doing life. How can I be dead? And yet, though people maintain some sort of life, apart from Christ and us left in our sins, we're dead. We're dead. So why, why do we need to be saved? What is it? Uh, this morning, uh, maybe another title for the message would be Me and Sin. <laughs> Me and Sin. How do we relate? How do we get together? Where do we come together? If you're thinking in theological terms, uh, academic, scholarly type theological terms, you would say we're going to look at the study of anthropology, the study of man, and homardiology, the study of sin. But don't ever use those terms around Bear Valley Church, okay? Let's just talk about the Bible, okay? It's where these two uh, important things, how, how man is and what sin is, how they come together and how they collide and what happens as they come together and what does this mean for me? Well, let's start in the beginning so you can turn over to Genesis. And if you read through that first chapter of Genesis, you see all of creation and how uh, God marked out his creation. And then he comes to his special creation, which is mankind. And it says in there that he created us, he created us in his image and likeness, in his image and likeness. And to give the, the sense of what that means, it's the idea that he placed upon us a resemblance, really his fingerprints, so that when people would look at us, when they'd see his special creation, they would see a resemblance to him. They would point back to him. That we were made in the image and likeness of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Is very good. So you get to the end of creation, end of that sixth day, and he looks back and he looks and he saw all that he had created, and it was very good. It was very good. Well, what happened then? Well, what was if everything was very good? What happened? If you skip over just one chapter, over to chapter three, chapter three. Chapter 3 describes what happened. And if you look at uh, really starting in Genesis 1, you see this progression of greatness. And you get on the top and, and that sixth day and you get the picture. You go, everything's great. Everything's very good. It's just beautiful. There's a sense there's in the garden, you know, you get the picture. And it's even hard for us to grasp, isn't it, what that must have been like as Adam and Eve were in the garden and there was no sin and the, it was just this intimacy with one another and with God and they walked with him in the cool of the day and there was a sense that everything was good and these animals were just getting along. Everything was perfect. Everything was great. And then you come to Genesis chapter 3 and you see what happened. Verse 6 says this, So when the woman saw the tree that was good for food... And that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It seems like a fairly um, insignificant verse, isn't it? It seems fairly insignificant. They ate a piece of fruit, right? There's, it's not this big deal. It's a, a picture of a woman, and she saw this fruit to be good, and she thought it was a good idea. She took a bite and gave some to her husband. What's the big deal? And yet, as you look at Scripture, you realize this is a significant event. In fact, uh, apart from Christ's um, giving of himself and his resurrection, you can look at this event as the most significant event of Scripture because of the impact it has throughout the, the pages and really throughout the history of life from the beginning. You see, you see sin entering in the world. Uh, you see the fall of man. You see that death enters. Uh, it's really hard. I, I'll be honest with you. I struggle with getting a true picture of what the garden must have been like. We, we struggle with that. You say, well, uh, it was very good. I see things all the time that are very good. And I want to say, uh, yes and no. Yes and no. You see things that are very good. Um, most of the time... Most of the time you see things that are very good, it's only because you've lowered your standards quite a bit. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. So uh, we're in Bear Valley. It's summertime. We come over the hill, Cumberland, right over there, and I'm with my kids in the car, and we look out on the sunset. It's just beautiful. Have you ever seen the sunset? It's just beautiful. Just beautiful sunset. And one of the kids asks me, they say, oh, Dad, it's beautiful. I say, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And I, and I look over to him and I say, you know why it's beautiful? Because there's a bunch of smog down in Bakersfield that makes it look that way. It's true, isn't it? Truth flows in the Bosler home. Sometimes it's not very kind either, you know. But you think about that and you think sometimes we look at things and they look beautiful to us, but simply because we've lowered our standard. We don't even know what that's like to be untainted by sin. We, we, we struggle with a picture of what it would be like to be in the garden and what that beauty must have been like of what creation and how it is untainted by sin. Let me tell you, uh, let's kind of walk through just briefly. Um, this event is called the fall of man. If you look down uh, in chapter 3, in verse 21, it says this. It's, it's interesting. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Where'd the skin come from? It wasn't, it wasn't Adam. It wasn't Eve. It was an animal, right? I, I, I wonder... I, trying to be funny at least, um, that uh, you see all those movies where the animals speak, you know, they have real personalities and animals don't really do that, by the way. I know some of you would argue with me about the personality of your animal and, you know, they're part of your family. I'm not going to argue about that. But our chickens, on the other hand, no, uh, uh, but you can imagine, you can imagine uh, that animal, whatever it was, whatever it was, you know, God coming and killing that animal and, and God, the animal going, wait, wait, what did I do? Well, what did I do? It wasn't my fault what went on here. I wasn't the one who ate that, that fruit. And immediately, immediately you see death enter the world. 
you flip over and it's so interesting to me how the progression of this. So you have in chapter 3 some animal dying for skin. You flip over the next chapter. You know, this is this is the history of our world. We start off great, everything's perfect. Sin enters the world, the animal dies. Genesis chapter 4 verse 8 says this, and when they were in the field, these two brothers Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. That's the next chapter. You know, we, we, we're getting into this so quickly. I realize that this isn't... Um, what would the Bible... If someone were to ask you what the Bible's about, what would you say? One word. Give me one word. It's about Jesus, right? Uh, if you take Jesus out of the Bible... What would you say the the, uh, the theme is of the Bible? I was thinking about this and I was going, it's the history of sin. It's the history of sin. You look through the Old Testament and it's, is it these great victories that all of God's people did? No. It's their foolishness of sin, of, of trying to do it on their own. Even in the book of Genesis, you have uh, the flood, you have the Tower of Babel. What is that? It's, it's man thinking he can do it without God. And so you really have the history of sin. And the Bible, uh, you know, they put the cover on it. It's done being written. But from the time the Bible was completed until now, what would you say the theme is? The history of sin. It's kingdoms, kingdoms rising and, and kingdoms falling and, and men coming up with their devices and pride and greed and sin and wars. And this is what we are. And why is that? Well, because sin entered the world and it continued its course. So what is the outcome of this sin entering the world and being so prevalent and coming through all this? If you look in Psalm chapter 14, and many of you will remember this because it's also quoted parts of this in the New Testament in the book of Romans. But uh, Psalm chapter 14 says this. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. There's none who does good. Verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Verse 3. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Not even one. So sin enters the world. Death is brought through sin. As you think of all of mankind, it's everywhere throughout history. And then he speaks of mankind as a whole, and he talks about no one, all of them, not even one, not even one. This is how sin has touched us. This is how prevalent it is. It's not just a few things. It is everyone. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You get this picture of what sin has done to us. It's ruined the world that we're in. 
It's ruined our history. It's ruined all of mankind. But it also ruins your own heart, your own heart. It's not about what's gone on in mankind, but as you look individually to yourself, it's your heart that has been touched by sin. Well, I realize that if you had a hard week and you were looking to be come to church and be uplifted and experience joy, I probably haven't done it for you yet. I realize that the idea of talking about being in a sinful world and your own sinful heart, that's not really a, a sense of let's have a party right afterwards, right? I realize that this is a tough one to handle. It's a super important one, though, as we think about uh, the world we live in and who we are. Some of you may be arguing in your heart with me right now. So are you saying, Kevin, are you saying that the Bible teaches that uh, we're all bad and there's nothing good in us and it's just we're all bad all the time. That's just who we are. I, I want to make a distinction here because some, sometimes we see pictures and they don't really fit into that grid. Maybe you've seen some ungodly person, a, a person that doesn't walk with God, maybe even shanks, shakes an angry fist at God every time they have the opportunity. And yet they're a young mom with their infant child and they show tenderness to that child and they they care for it and they they love it and they they have a sense of I want to take care of it I want to uh, be good to this child and you say see see how can that be sin how come that happens if we are touched at every level if we are polluted in every way how can that happen Uh, I'll just take you back to Genesis chapter 1 and I'll show you how that happened what were we made like? What were we made like? In the image and likeness of God. And the, the idea there being that as someone would look at us, they would not just see creation, that they would see the fingerprints and the image of God. I want to tell you, just because sin has entered the world does not mean that we do not remain, all people remain an image bearer. Of God, that there's things that you can find in them, the image and likeness of God. Because we were created by a God who loves us and is magnificent. Well, let's look at what the sins affect on us. And I think this is uh, super important for us to work through together. When you think about sin's effect, the the first part I want to talk about, our daily effect, our daily effect on us. Uh, How about, where do you see sin in your home? How do you see it work itself out? Um, Have you ever been mean to one another in your house? Or is it just my house where we're mean to one another? You know, if if you're wondering if you should respond, just point. Just point to the people who are mean in your household. Um, when you see meanness in your home, when you see that, when you see that, that's the effect of sin on your home. It's a daily effect. It's a daily effect. I think about uh, another area. Do, do people get sick at your house? 
All the time, it seems like. There's always someone getting sick for some reason, some ailment, and uh, sometimes they even share after that. Sickness, what is that? Why, why does that happen? That happens because sin has entered the world. It's one of the daily effects on us is that sickness. How about selfishness? Is anybody selfish in your home? Yeah, it happens all the time, right? Uh, it's really it's really unbecoming, men, if you start pounding your fist on the floor and saying, I want my way, I want my way. But that's the way we feel inside sometimes, right? I want what I want. I think about a perversion, both in our home and in our world. Why is that there? What is this great allure to something that is wrong in the eyes of God? It's sin. It's wrong. It comes from our own heart and being involved in a sinful world. It's everywhere. Perversion. How about pride? How about pride? You know, I, I, I did a really good job on this, and I just wanted you to know. You know, you weren't giving me enough attention right now, so I had to highlight this myself. I was hoping you would notice before I had to say something, but now I'm saying something. Pride. Where does that come from? It comes from sin, the sin that's in our heart and the sin that's in this world. Lying, greed, gluttony. How about this? Have any of you wondered why your job is so hard? Have any of you ever wondered that? You know, you, it seems kind of simple on paper, whatever you do. You know, you have things, and as they describe it in training, it seems real simple. You do this, you do this, you do this, and voila, you accomplish something and you get paid for it. It seems simple. Why is it so hard? Why is it that nothing works out easy in your job? Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Read it. It was easy. It was easy. In fact, I always find this interesting. Work itself is not the curse. Did you know that? Work itself is not the curse. Sometimes we look at Genesis in the garden, and as men, we look at that and we go, He was retired. He just wasn't doing anything. He was just kind of kicking back and everything was good. He wasn't retired. He had a job. Did you, did you get it? He was the gardener. He was in charge of the animals, you know, gardener or he was uh, the ranch hand, if you will. He was in charge of the animals in the garden and this was his job. And yet the thing that was missing from his job that's in your job is the idea that there was toil involved and hard work and labor. And there was a sense in because being in a sinful world, it made it difficult. You know what? That sin's daily effect on you. I think about some of the illnesses that um, we've seen in our church. We see people struggle with cancer. It wastes away the body. We've seen others that struggle with their their uh, memory and, and how that just eats away at them and they struggle to remember. And you say, well, what is that all about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about us living in a sinful world. The effects of it happen to us daily. Well, um, the daily effects of sin, I, I want to tell you something. I want to make a big point here because I think it's important are really the minor point of sin. The minor point of sin. It's not the big issue. In fact, 
It might even be uh, the, uh, the thing that comes out of the real problem, the real problem, the real issue. And that's the eternal effects of sin, the eternal effects of sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. It's death. And I connect that. Remember what happened to the animal. Remember what happened after the fall. The, the death sort of happened, uh, happened between the brothers. And then you go throughout the Old Testament. What was happening over and over again? These sacrifices. And there was dying and killing over and over again. And that death that entered through sin is the wages that come to us individually because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. It's hard for us to get through this. Turn over to uh, uh, John chapter 3 if you want to see another passage. And I think it's important because we got to connect what is the eternal effect of sin on us. It says the wages of sin is death. And sometimes we hear that word death and we go, oh, so uh, after this life you just die and then we're gone. Oblivion. Annihilated. Gone. We just removed. We turn to dust and there's nothing left of us. And yet the picture of the death that is to come from our sins is not one where, poof, you're gone. It's that there's one of eternal punishment. In John chapter 3, verse 36, it says this, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him, remains on him. Um, when we think of this life, it's easy for us, especially at a church like this, church like this. I say a church like this, we, comfort's beyond compare. Uh, I mean, just beauty, a beautiful place. Uh, I was talking to uh, one of our, our people in between times, and I said, boy, it's a beautiful day. And they reminded me that we have beautiful days every season, Right? That there's a sense of beauty to every season and there's a sense of comfort and just amazing place that we live in. And this church is filled with comforts and benefits and just all these things. And sometimes we, we look at the people around us that are, are perishing and, and lost in their sins and we look at them and we go, oh, you know what? They're struggling financially. <laughs> they really need Jesus. Oh, you know what? They're, you know, they're going through a sickness in their home. They really need Jesus. Oh, you know what? They're struggling with their, their bratty middle schoolers. Present company excluded. I'm not talking about any of you here. Um, but, uh, you, oh man, those parents need Jesus. Uh, I, I was thinking about some of you and some of your parents. And boy, you need Jesus too on a daily basis, right? Uh, we think about these, these temporary things and we think, we need Jesus. That's true. But the biggest reason we need Jesus is because we are lost in our sins, lost in our sins, apart from a relationship with God. In fact, it says that, listen to this, I'll read it again. John three thirty six. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's what sin does to us. The sins that we have committed it marks us as an object of God's wrath. This is hard to take, I realize. This is hard for us to process through. 
Maybe this brings us to the place and it should bring us to the place of saying, okay, um, why do I need saving? Uh, I need saving because of sin, okay, both in the world and in me. I need saving because of my own sin. Uh, there, there's a sense of it, it's, it's urgent, too, because of the cost of this whole deal, that my sin earns me. The wages is this death, and this death is his wrath placed upon me forever. It re- remain on me. So what can I do? What can I do? Do you know what the word indemnification means? It means What do they use it in most of the time? Insurance, right? Insurance. I love talking about insurance. It's so exciting. Insurance, indemnification. It's the idea. Now, now just say, for instance, say, say, hypothetically, say you're in your car and you hit a deer. Just say, uh, uh, you know, uh, hypothetically that you'd hit a deer. You want to make sure you're covered. By the way, there's one less deer in Golden Hills as of two weeks ago. The Bozlers did some got a new car, and then we hit it with a deer. Anyways, uh, uh, the idea of indemnification is the idea of being covered, being covered. And what that is, the reason you all have insurance, it's the law, but most of you, if you have insurance like this, the reason is you want to make sure you're covered in that instance. You want them, after you hit a deer, you want them to take your car and put it back like it was before it met the deer. That's what you want to happen. And, and as I think about this concept, we like the, the whole idea of being covered. We like the idea of driving and saying, ah, if I hit something, it'll be, it'll be put back together. But this is the problem as you think about sin. What's going to fix us? There's nothing to put us back together after we've been touched by sin. There's no sense. Where do we go that can fix our sin problem? There's no place to go. That's the problem. As we think about what can we do, there's no place we can go that will fix us. It's not that we won't try, right? Uh, we try all kinds of things, right? We, we do the, um, the, the thing where, you know, you do something bad and you feel guilty for your sin. And so what do you do? You do something good. And then you try to get them to go this way. I have more things that I've done good than the things I've done bad, so I must be good. And yet somehow it never takes care of these things, right? They're still there. There's still the guilt of that. A lot of times we just try to forget about it. We try to push it out of our mind and busy us, busy ourselves with uh, things. We turn up the music and we uh, say, I just want to forget about it. We, we throw ourselves into work. We hop on the internet. We, we go and we, we busy ourselves with the, the things of this world thinking that we're going to forget. And yet the minute it turns quiet, we feel the guilt of all those things and we go, I'm stuck, stuck in the sin. And even if there was a place where we could go to get clean, even if there was, there's one problem with that, is that it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again. Uh, I think about that picture in the Old Testament of the sacrifices, and we're going to talk a minute about um, the, the sacrificing and the blood especially, and 
the, the problem with those Old Testament sacrifices is they would go and, and as you were going, you'd get some sacrifice, an animal, and you'd come and you'd bring it. And you would know that you'd been a sinner in the past and you'd connected all these things, right? All my sins are being placed on this animal. Here we go. And really, it's a graphic picture, graphic picture of sin and the, the animal sacrifice. But the problem is, the problem is, as we walk away from that sacrifice, if that could have taken care of it, as we walk away, we go, hmm, I am pretty good. I am pretty good. Oh, pride's creeping in. You're, you get frustrated with your wife as you're walking away from the, you're harsh with her. Lust comes into your mind. Greed, you see something, you covet, you start, and it's like, oh, do I got to keep doing a U-turn back to the same, how can I sacrifice enough to get this taken care of? That's what sin is. It's something that we just go, here we go again. I'm stuck in this. It's, it's, it's for me. It's the thing that dogs my feet. In Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says this. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Uh, I want to be honest with you. I don't quite and, and fully understand why the blood but i'm confident of this that as i look in the old testament as i look in the new testament god is not satisfied with anything else it's his design and and you think about it um it it does connect it if you uh thought through the old testament if they were truly going to make a movie out of the old testament it would be extremely graphic extremely graphic because there's a, a killing and a, a blood spilling over and over again. And you don't have to dramatize that to imagine being there. But it also says this, the next chapter in the book of Hebrews. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You're saying that uh, Hebrews tells us that it has to be the shedding of blood. And yet the blood of bulls and goats won't do it won't do it. There's got to be something else to take care of your sin and my sin. Most of you know what that is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's his blood shed for you. In Ephesians chapter 2, there's a, a beautiful passage that speaks of the change that goes about in us when Jesus enters in and when his blood is uh, appropriated for our sins. In chapter 2, verse 12 of Ephesians, it says, Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. And then l- listen to this, having no hope and without God in the world having no hope and without God in the world. Uh, Once again, maybe you're struggling with this concept. You say, no hope. I have plenty of hope. You know, I, I, you know, I haven't bought into this whole thing about Jesus. I'm struggling with all this stuff. And, and yet apart from him, Hey, I've lived my whole life apart from him. I'm doing just fine. 
I have hope in all kinds of things. I look for the future for this, that, and the other thing. And I love my job. I love my family. I, I love where I live. There's, there's plenty of hope. We're not just talking about generic hope in things. The hope that's talking about here is a hope that's eternal. It is not based upon your health. It's not based upon your career. It's not even based upon this life per se. It's a hope that's found exclusively in Jesus Christ. It's a hope that will take you beyond this life, beyond the daily things. He says, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You love that picture. I love it. It's like the idea of off in the distance, way distance, super far away. And you go, oh, there's a relationship with God over there. There's God's people experiencing the hope of the gospel. And it's way over there. And I'm standing over here. I don't have any part of it. And you can imagine how a a non-Jew would have felt. And he says, oh, they have a relationship with God. And even the Jews, the idea that they haven't found the Messiah yet. And, And so he says, but you who are far off were what? Brought near. You were brought near. You were brought before him. And how did all this happen? By the blood of Jesus, by the blood of him. You see, what's the answer to your sin problem is the blood of Jesus. Why do you need saving is because of your own sin. Why does everybody need saving? Because of their own sin. And we live in a sinful world. There are daily effects of that sin. But the one that we must deal with is that we have an eternal soul, one that needs to be with him forever. I have one concluding thought in one verse, or one passage, is this. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus for eternal life and for every day after this. We need him. Why do we need saving? Because of our own sin. But we need Jesus. Last verse I want to share is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. It's actually two verses. It says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. You know, there's a, a sense spiritually where we are if we were without Christ here today, we're in a dangerous, dangerous spot. We're dead and we don't know it. And I want to tell you that there's, this is no way to live. This is no way to live. And you don't have to. That you can obtain some salvation. And it doesn't come from, you don't have to pay any amount of money. You don't have to work for it. You just have to accept what Christ has done for you. His blood spilled on your behalf. He's taken the punishment you'd accept it. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for the opportunity of being before your word. I thank you for your direction in this, both in teaching us about our own sin and showing us that you have provided a way out of this at the cost of your son. God, I pray for those who are here today that are struggling with this, that are sitting outside and the the salvation that they look to is far off 
I pray that you would be working. I know that you already have been through your Holy Spirit and your word. And I ask that you would bring to fruition their souls coming to know you to accept Jesus Christ. God, do your work in us. And God, for the rest of us, let us never think that our sin is a small issue, but rather see how desperate it was and be rejoicing at the cost of your son Jesus that he would pay the price for us and that we would now experience life because of what he's done. God, thank you. Help us to uh, understand this, that we would love your gospel. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. I trust that if any of you have any questions, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Um, This is the best stuff on earth. Uh, And it is actually the best stuff off the earth too. I just want to point that out. So have a great day. You are dismissed.